All right, uh, I had, uh, had an Uncle Mike. Uncle Mike, was, um, Uncle Mike was just a really cool dude. Uncle Mike uh, gave me my first car. It was a 1968 Volkswagen Beetle. That thing wasn't anything but bad. I mean, it was fantastic. Golly, it was, just, it was such a great car. Ooh, it was so good. Um, and along with giving me cars, Mike taught me a lot uh, about cars. Mike and I spent many a Saturday uh, either under uh, the actual car itself or under the hood um, and when I, when I moved up from the, or maybe down, from the 68 Beetle to a 91 Ford Ranger, that probably is down, um, I, uh, he, he helped me, you know, learn some different things about how very different those engines are. Uh, like, very different. Um, and one of the things we would do routinely is we'd change the oil. And Mike, uh, Mike had this tool that would help get the filter off. If you're not familiar with, with oil changes, you don't just drain the oil out and put in new oil. You have to change the oil filter uh, also. And uh, by the way, if you go to these like 10-minute oil change places, make sure they do that because most of them don't because that's how they can do it in 10 minutes. Um, so, but the thing about an oil filter is you can put it on by hand. Screw it on there tight, and then it just kind of seals and you're good. Taking it off by hand is much more difficult uh, typically, just because it's so it's it's sealed in there really good. So what you have to do is, is get enough force to kind of crack that seal a little bit, and then you can unscrew it. So they make this tool that fits onto the oil filter, and then the back end kind of attaches to like a socket wrench. Okay, so what you do is you got to get your hands down in there and put it on there, and then get enough torque and pop it off, and you're good to go. And so Mike told me what to do, and so I'm trying, and I just it just wasn't working. I couldn't get my hands in the right place, and then have it so that so that the so I could actually get any sort of pressure on the, on the socket wrench to actually turn it. Um, and I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, and, and Mike, was, Mike was a great teacher. That's what Mike did for a living. Um, that's why I went into teaching, because I wanted to be like my Uncle Mike. Um, and he was just being super patient. He was giving me some tips, try this, try this, and it just wasn't working. And finally, I was just like, Mike, how about you do it this time, and I'll watch, so that way I can do it the next time. Because I realized that that tool was way more useful in his hands than it was in mine. Okay, and I think we've all had experiences like that where you're trying to do something and you realize, okay, this other person's like bigger or stronger or they just have more experience, they know what they're doing. I should just probably just let them do it. It's like, have you ever seen these lumberjack and lumberjill competitions where like they stand on the log and then they start chopping in between their feet and it's like, tew, 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 tew. and the log's like this big, and they're done in like eight chops. Okay, you could hand me their axe. There's no way I'm getting through that log in eight chops. I'll probably get through my foot in one. But there's no, it, you know, because so, oftentimes a tool just works better in somebody else's hands. And when we're faced with that situation where we're like, okay, I should probably just hand this over. I think we're stuck with, okay, what am I going to do? Am I just going to be like, you know what? Yep, I, you, you take this. Or am we, are we going to buckle down and I can do it myself, even when we really can't. So we're going to look at a story tonight where somebody handed over the little they had. And by handing it over, it did much more good because of who they gave it to. We're going to look at a, a miracle story in the Bible. Um, it's actually the only miracle, other than Jesus' resurrection, because that's kind of an important one. Um, <laughs> it's the only miracle that actually shows up in all, all four of the Gospels, other than the resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all um, include this story. And it's a super uh, helpful story because it shows us 
We don't have to try to do massive, huge, earth-shattering, world-changing things all by ourselves. But it's also useful because we're going to see that we can play a role in massive, earth-shattering, world-changing things despite the very little uh, that we have to offer. So we're going to get to one of the gospel accounts in a little bit, but I want to read the Jesus Storybook Bible account first because it's a really good overview. We're going to look in much more detail at the story um, in one of the gospels, but I want to give you this one just to kind of give you an idea of, of where we're headed. So it's called Filled Full. There were once 5,000 tired and hungry and probably very grumpy, we call that hangry, uh, people sitting on a hillside wanting their dinner. They'd come to hear Jesus that day. They came before breakfast, stayed all morning, all afternoon, and way past dinner. No one had meant to be out there that long, but that's how it was, listening to Jesus, as if time didn't exist. People could listen to Jesus for hours. And on this particular day, that's just what they did. But they hadn't brought enough food, and they couldn't just go and buy themselves a burger and fries to go because, of course, they were in the middle of nowhere with no shops or restaurants. I mean, besides, that kind of food wasn't invented yet. What would they do? Well, Jesus' friends had an idea. Let's just get rid of them. Let's send everyone home for dinner. It sounds noble. I don't think it is, but we'll get to that in a minute. They don't need to go, Jesus said. You can give them something to eat. I mean, did Jesus want them to travel all the way to town and buy food for everyone? His friends panicked, but we don't have enough money. Well, what food do you have, Jesus asked. Go and see. Now, there was a little boy in the crowd. He had brought a lunch that his mother had made for him that morning. He looked at his five little loaves and two tiny fish. It wasn't much, not nearly enough for 5,000, but it was all he had. I have some, he said. <laughs> Jesus' friends laughed when they saw his little lunch. That's not nearly enough, they said. But they were wrong. Jesus knew it didn't matter how much the little boy had. God would make it enough, more than enough. Jesus said, bring me what you have. And so the little boy gave Jesus his lunch. And Jesus winked at the little boy and whispered in his ear, watch. How in the world will Jesus feed everyone with just that, Jesus' friend said, because they thought it was impossible. But Jesus knew the one who made all the fish in the oceans. Jesus knew the one who in the very beginning had made everything out of nothing at all. How hard would something like this be for someone like that? So Jesus took the little boy's lunch, looked up to heaven, and thanked his father. Then Jesus gave the little lunch back to his friends. As Jesus' friends started to hand out the food, you know what? It was the strangest thing. No matter how much they broke off, there was always more and more and more. Enough for 5,000. Everyone ate as much as they wanted. Second helpings, third helpings, even fourths. That's not like a Thursday night at all. Um, <laughs> until they were full and still there were leftovers. That's just like tonight. Um, well, Jesus did many miracles like this. Things people thought couldn't happen that weren't natural. But it was actually the most natural thing in all the world. It's what God, it's what God had been doing from the beginning, of course. Taking the nothing and making it everything taking the emptiness and filling it up, taking the darkness and making it light. So this story is routinely called the feeding of the 5,000. We'll get to why that's a terrible name in just a second. Um, one kid's lunch. Like, don't miss the fact that one of Jesus' disciples basically stole a kid's lunch. That's <laughs> kind of what it seems like. Um, it's kind of interesting. But... Um, <laughs> But this, this little boy's... And by the way, a loaf of bread in those days wasn't like now like a loaf of bread. It was more like a loaf of bread. Um, not that it makes a difference, but... Um, but this little boy's lunch, you know, is, it's, it's obviously not enough until he gives it to Jesus. If he'd held on to his lunch, he would have fed himself and maybe one buddy. But by 
not holding on to it. It was able to do much more. So our question for tonight, what am I holding on to that Jesus could do much more with if I gave it to him? I like asking questions. I think questions stick better than statements. I think first-person questions stick even better because that way it's you asking yourself, not somebody else asking you. So if we'll challenge ourselves to rethink, go back and watch last week's uh, talk if you didn't get a chance to see why that's important. Um, I think we'll see that holding on to something might be maybe the worst thing we could do and kind of counterproductive. Because think about this. If this little boy holds on to his lunch, he goes home at the end of the day, Mom's like, how was your day? I was like, oh, I was cool. Listen to that Jesus guy for a while. Then everybody got hungry and left. But because he gives Jesus his lunch, he's got a much better story to tell now. How was your day? Mom, you are not going to believe this. So I had my lunch, right? Like Nobody else had food. You're the best mom. Um, <laughs> and I gave it to Jesus, and he fed everybody. And she's like, okay, that's cute, dear. Sounds great. And then she starts hearing people talking. She's like, okay, hold on, come here. What happened with that food? I mean, think about this. It's such a great story to tell. It's a story that seems supernatural. But if you notice that last part of what the Jesus story of the Bible said, it said it's not supernatural. You know, the last page there said Jesus did many miracles like this. Things people thought couldn't happen. Things that weren't natural. But they were because this is God's very nature. It's the most natural thing in all the world. It's what God had been doing from the beginning, of course. Taking the nothing and making it everything. Taking the emptiness and filling it up. Taking the darkness and making it light. Been doing it from the very beginning, Jesus' story, what Bible says. Okay, so if you think back, if you were here way back in August during the first dinner and a message, we looked at the very beginning. And the very beginning... Starts this way, Genesis 1-2. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. This is literally the second sentence in the Bible. Okay, now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Empty and dark. But God drives out the darkness in the very next sentence by simply saying, let there be light. And there was. Then the rest of Genesis chapter 1 is him filling up the emptiness by creating everything. The God that made everything out of nothing can surely do something big with our something little. If we'll let go of it, not hold on to it so tightly, and just trust Him with it. I mean, that's our whole question, y'all. What am I holding on to that Jesus could do much more with if I gave it to Him? Now, the Jesus story of the Bible does a great job of giving us some, some specific things to think about. It gives a great overview. And like I said earlier, the stories from the Old Testament, it does a great job of showing how those stories point to Jesus. This one kind of misses some really cool details that I want to share with us. So we're going to look at Matthew's account of this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four, uh, four Gospels, four accounts of Jesus' time on earth. Gospel just means good news, by the way. It's just a fancy word for good news. And so we're going to read through this, and you're going to see that some parts are highlighted. So I'm going to stop at, that, at those parts and kind of point out why I think those parts are, are super important. Uh, so we're going to, it's only eight verses, but we're going to hang out in it uh, for a while here. So here we go. And as you can tell, we're not going to get very far before I stop us. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. If you read through the Gospels, you will see... Jesus having compassion 
stated over and over and over again. But I need you to know something about this term. It doesn't mean he felt sorry for them. It doesn't mean pity. It doesn't mean he felt bad. Like, oh, these poor people. Okay, the, the, the Greek language there in the original Bible, the Bible's not written originally in American English. It's written in mostly Hebrew, the first part, mostly Greek, the second part, a little bit of Aramaic thrown in there too. But the Greek phrase that is translated had compassion literally means it made his stomach turn. Like he felt it in his gut. Jesus saw these people and he couldn't not help them. Okay, you've probably had something like this where even sometimes when you really don't want to do something nice, you're like, oh, my stomach feels like it's about to explode. I can't not. And that's really what's going on here. You know, Jesus saw these folks and it wasn't just like, oh, so sad. I mean, he literally like felt it, felt it in his gut. So he had to, he had to do something. Uh, now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Now, the interesting part about this is, this is in three of the four accounts. Jesus saying, you give them something to eat. The one that it's not in, it's because uh, that one writes it as Jesus looks at one of his buddies and is like, what are we going to do to feed all these people? <laughs> A little sassy Jesus in that version. Um, but the reason I love this, you give them something to eat. Because if you think about this, they're talking to Jesus. They're basically, like, and, and you know, if, if talking to God, talking to Jesus is really what prayer is for us now. They're basically praying. It's just that they can actually see Jesus right there. And they're like, Jesus, somebody should do something about this. And Jesus is like, yeah, somebody should. And it's funny until he does it to you. And 10 years ago in that back office one morning... He did this very thing to me. I was sitting back there. It was my first semester here at CCF, spring of 2013. Uh, I think it was about 8.15 one morning. I was sitting back there. I was, I was praying. I was reading my Bible. And it was raining. I mean, it was raining. And then all of a sudden, it stopped raining, and it started pouring. I mean, just like, you know, that, that one where you're looking down, all of a sudden, you hear it, and you're like, is it coming through? I mean, what in the world? Um, and I... What popped into my head, and I don't think that I don't think anything's pop, I think what God put into my head was that I knew that down on uh, at that time down on North Avenue, uh, underneath this this bridge uh, at North Avenue, there was a, a community of people journeying through homelessness that lived under that bridge. Um, let me unpack something I said there for a second, real quick. People journeying through homelessness. If you've been here for a length of time, you've probably heard me say that. But in case you haven't, don't say the homeless. Because then you just dehumanized them. And it's a whole lot easier to ignore people when you pretend they're not people. Okay, and, and, if, and if I say homeless people, then I've said they're homeless before I've said they're a person. And if I say people who are homeless, then it implies they're always going to be. But if I say people journeying through homelessness, then that's somebody that I can walk along with and help them in that journey. It's like, good grief, Donnie, that's a mouthful. Yeah, but it's worth it because words matter. Okay? So people journey through homeless. So I knew that, that these folks were waking up down there and they were trying to decide, okay, do I stay dry but hungry or do I walk up to a place called Our Daily Bread, which at the time was up on Oconee Street, and get breakfast and get soaked? So dry and hungry or soaking wet and fed. And I was just like, man, God, that, that's awful. That's how they're starting their day. Like, 
I don't know, God, have somebody be like your hands and feet and like take them some breakfast. Be careful what you pray for. Because honestly, y'all, to this day, I, and I'm not trying to weird anybody out here, but I, I heard it so clearly, I'm not sure if it was audible or not. I mean, honestly, I don't know if it was audible or if I just heard it in my brain. But I heard this. You give them something to eat. And I was just like, dog. <laughs> and I knew, and this part's going to take a little bit, but it's very important. I knew that in the center console of my car, there were nine quarters. How did I know that? Well, because nine quarters, $2.25. And at that time, a Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit with tax was $2.24. So I would save my quarters. This was before there was a Chick-fil-A app. So that was like my reward. Like I would save my quarters and it was like getting a free ch- you know. So, But, but then, then before there was the app, I, to keep myself from going to Chick-fil-A all the time, I only went when I had cash. So anytime I got nine quarters, I would wait. And then that Friday, I would go to Chick-fil-A and get myself, essentially, I felt like a free chicken biscuit because, you know, I'd save up my quarters, whatever. And so I'm like, well, I know who's getting that chicken biscuit. So I drive to Beachwood, pay with my quarters. They looked at me weird. The folks on the east side never looked at me weird when I did it because I did it all, well, not all the time, but usually like every two weeks. And they were always like, got your quarters today? Cool. Um, and then I start driving down to North Avenue. And as I'm getting closer, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Because I can't just like walk down there with one chicken biscuit when I know like eight or ten people live down there. So I'm like, okay, God, you got me this far. I I don't know what's going to, and I look up, and legit, there's a dude walking up out from the bridge about to head to Our Daily Bread. And so I just pull over, roll down the window, try to stay dry. Here's a, little bit, here's a chicken biscuit for you, man. He's like, oh, thanks, man. I didn't want to get wet, but I needed to eat. And I was just like, mm-hmm, I see what you did there, God. <laughs> so all of that to say, be careful when you ask God that somebody should do something, because he might be like, mm-hmm somebody should. You give them something to eat, and they're like, you can't, what are you talking about? We only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. They also had that, that was in the Jesus Story Bible account also. And y'all, I love this. Jesus says, bring it here to me, because this is the whole thing. That lunch in that little boy's hand, it's not much. But when we bring stuff to Jesus, when we let go of what we're holding on to, He can do more with it. I mean, y'all, that's our question. What am I holding on to that Jesus could do much more with if I gave it to Him? The little boy decided to let go of his lunch. And we don't know his name, but we're still talking about him centuries later. So then Jesus orders the crowd to sit down on the grass. Rob. Okay. <laughs> Technical difficulties, it happens. Um, okay. Why do I highlight sit down? Because you got to see this. This is crazy. This is why it's cool to study a little bit of Greek. Um, Jesus didn't say, hey, y'all, just sit down somewhere. What Jesus said was, it's time to eat. Because the language that he actually used was, recline at table. Now, if you're not familiar with how people ate in first century Jewish culture, they didn't sit at tables and chairs like we did. There was a central table low to the ground, and then there were couches that, you, that basically were around 
the, the table. So you would, you would kind of lean on your left side, lean on your left elbow, feet out, grab the food, eat this way. So <laughs> I mean, that's how I eat chips on my couch. I don't know about y'all, but it's just like, you know. So this is what Jesus says. He does, he does, he's not just like, hey, sit down. He says, it's time for dinner. And now you know his closest followers are like, what is he doing? They weren't expecting food. Now they are, and we got this kid's lunch. But Jesus knew what he was up to. So he tells him to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Now, we call it a blessing, and we'll get to that, because I, I, I do absolutely think this, that, that this was blessed food for sure. And we ask God to bless our food, but we also tell God, thank you for the food. So I think the, I think the disciples are just getting more and more confused. Because Jesus has just said, everybody sit down, it's time to eat. And they're like... And then he holds up little Timmy's lunch and says, thank you God for this food. And they're all like, are you kidding me? It, are you looking at it? Is his, are his eyes messed up? What is going and so he thanks God for it. And here's the really cool thing about this. I want you to kind of see this as a progression. I don't know why I called him Timmy, but I did. So little Timmy hands Jesus his lunch. He gives Jesus his lunch. And then Jesus gives it to God. Not even Jesus tried to do this by himself. Not even Jesus tried to do this massive thing um, all on his own. He wasn't even willing to hold on to it. He gave it to God. So Jesus breaks the loaves, gives them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Again, Jesus doesn't try to do it by himself. He gets his buddies involved in it. They get to share in this. I think if he'd wanted to, Jesus could have taken each loaf and just like flung it, and while it was flying out there, like more loaves would have broken off, which would have looked really cool, but then he'd have been doing it all by himself. Instead, he gets his friends involved in this amazing thing that's going on. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. I don't know why we call this the feeding of the 5,000. Because assuming most of those men were married, and assuming they had, that the men and women had some children, I think we're closer to 20,000 people. Easily. That's a better miracle. Why do we call it 5,000? I mean, that's just, that's just a... And don't tell me somebody was like... I lost count. Was that the purple toga or the green toga? I don't I mean... A lot more people. So I think that's important. But here's the really cool thing about these 12 basketfuls. I think this is cool for two reasons. Number one, 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. This... I guess debunks what a lot of opponents of the Bible like to say, which is that the miracle was that as this one little boy's lunch got passed around, so many people were like, oh, no thanks, let somebody else have some. I've heard this. I've heard this argued, that it wasn't really a miracle. That what was so cool about it was how many people were like, oh, no, I'm fine, just let somebody else have the food. Well, that's all well and good, but it doesn't take 12 baskets to put five loaves and two fish. They fed 20,000 people and ended up with more leftovers than they started with. 
Like, that'd be like if there was like 12 crock pots of chili in the kitchen right now. Everybody got to eat. Everybody had more than enough. And they, start, and they ended up with more than they started with. And each disciple gets a basket. Remember, Jesus has his 12 closest followers. It's like, oh, cool. Jesus had their lunch for the next day. Yes, but more. Because I think, probably with the exception of Judas, the one who ended up betraying Jesus, I think every one of them kept that basket until the day they died. I just envision like Bartholomew walking down the road and somebody being like, dude, why are you always carrying that basket? He's like, you got to hear this story. Let me tell you about this basket. I mean, it's an awesome takeaway. They each get a basket. And they're telling this story forever. All because little Timmy gave Jesus his lunch. I mean, think about, think about the story he's telling. Think about the story the disciples have to tell. It's a fantastic story because he didn't hold on to something so tightly. You know, and earlier I said that my hope was that tonight would be helpful because you don't have to do massive things all by yourself. Even Jesus didn't try to do this all by himself. And we can play a role in big things despite the little that we have to offer. You know, just like the, just like the little boy. Um, a couple of quotes uh, that are attributed uh, to Mother Teresa, I think kind of exemplified this idea. Mother Teresa said that not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And then, because I think Mother Teresa understands people and is like, okay, that's a kind of a general idea, let me give them something specific. She specifically said, if you can't feed 100 people, then just feed one. If you can't feed a hundred people, then just feed one. That's a pretty cool quote, right? That's probably like being on a t-shirt or something. So it is. Check it out. Yeah, those of you that thought I'd bulked up, nope. Um, <laughs> afraid not! But that's what it says. If you can't feed a hundred people, then just feed one. Yeah, I would have loved that day back in, you know, spring of 2013 to have driven around and given every person journey through a homeless a chicken biscuit. Didn't have that many quarters. Okay, but I could feed one. I think this, I think this idea from, from Mother Teresa is where um, Andy Stanley, uh, who's the founding minister of North Point Community of Churches, gets his do-for-one idea. Uh, he talks a lot about do-for-one what you wish you could do for everyone. Okay, that we can't all impact tons of people, so do for one what you wish you could do for another one. I mean, y'all, this is, I think this is the heart behind people who rescue pets from shelters. Yeah, you'd love to take 30 cats home with you. Some people would. Um, maybe you can't do that, so just take one. Okay, but, or, 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 or a dog, or what, whatever, but you can't you feel like, well, I mean, it's, it's just insurmountable. I can't, I can't do anything. I can't make a difference. Well, you can make a difference to one. Okay? It, do for one. You, so, you know, I think people, like, we want to change the world. But let's just be honest. A lot of us are never going to do that. But we can change the world for somebody. We can change the world for our neighbor. We can change the world next door. Okay, our 
you know, our, our, the folks on our, on our dorm hall, the uh, folks in our apartment complex, the folks that sit on our row in that massive auditorium class. Change the world next door. That's something you can do. That should be a t-shirt too. Oh, wait! It is! See, Elizabeth, this is why I wanted to make sure you were here this week because Elizabeth gave me this shirt. Change the world next door. That's literally what it says. Okay? You can do this. Okay? This whole do for one idea, if you can't feed 100 people, just feed one, change the world next door. This, I think, is the idea behind this story. And I don't know if it's made up or not, but who cares? It's a really cool story. About a little girl who's out on the beach one morning after there's been a massive storm that has washed up like hundreds of starfish up on the beach. And so she is walking down the beach, bending down, and throwing the starfish back in the water. And some people are kind of smiling, like, oh, it's cute, look at that. But one dude, because every party has a pooper, walks up to her and is just like, you're wasting your time. You can't, look, look, you can't possibly make a difference. And she bends down, throws one back in, and says, I made a difference to that one. And one version of the story goes that the rest of the people on the beach, other than party pooper, maybe him too, started helping her. And eventually they got all the starfish back into the water, which wouldn't have happened if she hadn't thrown the first one back in. Tiny little thing makes a big difference. The little we can offer may not change the world, but it can change somebody's world. The little we can offer. Now, I want to notice I said the word offer as in offering, and no, this is not about to be a preacher talking about money. I think it could be, but offering is something you give to Jesus. Okay, that's what, that's, like, there, if we read through the Bible, there's always talk about sacrifices and offerings and giving things to God, not holding on to it ourselves. So again, what am I holding on to that Jesus could do much more with if I gave it to him? I mean, what if we did for one person what we wish we could do for everyone? What if we did that? Now, maybe it's something kind of big, like using a little bit of money to, to feed somebody. Or maybe it's something super tiny, like just holding a door open for somebody. Giving somebody your seat on the bus. Just smiling at somebody. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, a huge thing to make a difference for somebody. Because oftentimes you don't know what the little thing you did, how big it is to somebody else. Okay, I'm betting many of us have had this situation. If you haven't, it's going to come in, in your life, I assure you. Where somebody comes to you and they, they tell you that something you did one day made a huge impact on them. And you're going to be like, I don't think that was me. I have no idea what they're talking about. Because you forgot about it. Because it was a little thing, as far as you were concerned. But it changed their world. And what if we did that? What if we gave Jesus what little we have and trusted Him to do more with it than we can even dream? Because He can. That's what He does. But, but maybe the, the question you have is, but what am I supposed to give to Him? Like, what am I supposed to do, Donnie? Because I just wish the Bible would tell me what God wants. It does. Micah 6, eight. It's a really good verse. What does the Lord require of you? And he's going to answer it. To do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love mercy, 
and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly. That should be a shirt too. It is. See how this one's tucked in? That's because I was afraid of it coming up with the other ones. So, but now it's super uncomfortable. I hate having my shirt tucked in. That's the last one. Yeah, right? Oh, if you think that was a lot, you should have been here many Christmases ago when I had like, I don't know, like 15. It was insane. I was showing all these organizations you could donate to as a Christmas gift. It was crazy. But yeah, do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Let's do this. Especially the walk humbly part. Because it took humility for me to realize that my Uncle Mike was better with that tool than I ever was going to be. It took humility for the little boy to hand Jesus his lunch. It took humility for Jesus to then give it to God and ask God to bless it. And it'll take humility for us to ask ourselves, what am I holding on to that Jesus could do much more with if I gave it to him? Now, some of us, I suspect, we know exactly what that thing is. I'm going to tell you what at least one of mine is in just a second. Um, Others of us, Maybe you don't know. Maybe you're like, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm not really sure about that. Well, anybody on staff, our graduate assistants, our ministry assistants, our, summer, our student intern, we would love to talk to you about that. If you're like, I don't, okay, our, our, all of our names and numbers are on, uh, are on the, the door back there. Um, at the bottom of the door, if you look, Jesus is on there too. It says 1-800-PRAY. So um, <laughs> if you don't want to talk to us, talk to him first. That's fine. Um, but I think all of us have that one thing that we just want to control. Maybe it's more than one thing. Okay? And let me just level with you for a minute here. For me, it's here. I've got my plans. I've got my wishes, my dreams, my desires, what I want CCF to be. But it's not Donnie Campus Fellowship. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that means I'm just going to like, like go, I'm not doing that. Y'all, y'all are stuck with me. <laughs> but I need to hold it more loosely. And let God be like, why don't you let go of that for a second and let me handle that? Because here's some breaking news for you. He can handle everything way better than we can. I mean, he absolutely can. That's what he does. That's what he's been doing from the very beginning is holding it all. <laughs> holding it all. We try to hold stuff in our hands that our hands aren't big enough to hold. Well, Jesus' hands are big enough for all of it. And hear this, and for all of us. And for each of us. It's not just an all thing. It's an each thing. So instead of gripping tight and gritting our teeth, let's just relax, loosen our grip, and let God do with it what he will. I'm not saying it'll be easy. Humility usually isn't. Okay, and remember, humility doesn't mean you think less of yourself. It means you think of yourself less. Okay, that's an important difference, okay? Humility doesn't mean you just think that you're awful and terrible and never could do anything good. It means that you just think about other people. You think about God. You think about, okay, I've got this, but instead of me holding on to it, let me just relax my grip. Okay, let me just, let me just relax my grip. 
and, and do justice and love mercy and walk humbly. Because if we'll have the humility to let go and give it to God, much like little Timmy, we'll have a story to tell too. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all as we do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Let's pray. God, thank you for moms that pack our lunches. Thank you uh, that little Timmy didn't feel like he had to keep his lunch just for him. God, the things that we hold on to, I mean, we hold on to them because we care about them. But help us realize that you are way better at caring for things and for people than we're ever going to be, God. So help us to trust you enough to let, to loosen our grip to let go of things and, and, and to give them to you. God, give us the courage to walk humbly with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.